The face of Latina professionals propels women of color to reach their highest potential through education, community, and self-development. Join us as we come together to provide a platform for Latina voices to connect and be heard on the Face of Latina Professionals podcast. How you guys doing? I'm Tony Arce, and this is the Face of Latina Professionals podcast. Today, I'm joined by licensed speech-language pathologist Susie Carbray. Susie, thank you for being here. Thanks for having me. No, it's our pleasure. Now, originally from Wichita, Kansas, huh? That's right. Not too many people I meet from Wichita. <laughs> No. <laughs> no, no, especially not in Chicago, right? Yeah, for sure. And now, you know, obviously, this is the face of Latina uh, professionals. Um, also, probably not a lot of Latinas in Wichita, right? Yeah, but there's certainly a Mexican culture there. Oh, really? Uh huh. Yeah. Well, t- tell me about what it was like growing up, um, you know, in, in Wichita as a Latina amongst that community. I guess. Yeah, I think um, you know it was interesting. I come from mixed parents, so my mom is white and my dad is born and raised in Mexico. Okay. And so for me, it was interesting, kind of sorting out which culture is which, and when do you identify with which and where. And probably it is more divided. You know, you're in your Mexican culture at this place, and maybe in a white culture at this place. But I think as time goes on, more and more is intertwining. Yeah. Where, where's your dad from originally in Mexico? He's from Durango. Okay. How, how did he end up in uh, in the United States? How did he meet your mom? So he came to the United States. His, I think, older siblings had started to come and he had the opportunity, I think a work opportunity. And so he came to the United States, not, not Wichita, Kansas to start off with, but that's where he ended up. And then his parents came after oh, no he way. came. And my dad's dad and my mom's dad worked together in a factory job, okay. and that's how my parents met. Oh no, that's awesome! Mm-hmm. Usually, you don't hear about that. I mean, usually, someone leaves; they don't they don't usually bring their parents. You know, parents stay back. So that was cool for you. So you got to grow up with your grandparents. Yes. Yeah, so most of my dad's family came here. He has a couple siblings that are still in Mexico. Okay. But most are now in the United States. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. So when you think about your upbringing, was it, you know, traditionally uh, Mexican as far as it related to your dad's side of the family? Yes, and I think definitely with, in some ways, with food and holidays and family culture. Yes, with um, learning Spanish. My dad didn't teach me Spanish because my mom doesn't teach Spanish. So in some ways, I feel like I missed out on certain parts of the culture, but in other ways, I was exposed to so much within the culture. Absolutely. And, and, and culture extends to so much more beyond just the language, right? Yeah. Um, like, yeah, I, th- I think we've talked about that a little bit, you know, before we even jumped on is just what that culture kind of symbolizes in terms of the, hosp- the hospitable nature that we have and just kind of a sense of family. Um, did you notice that, I guess, uh, from the difference in families? Did you notice just... I guess, tell me about that. What did you notice growing up, knowing that you had these kind of, uh, this multicultural background? So are you saying like, how are they different? How are they different? You know, what did you notice that one was more, I guess, just the, the Latino side, the, the Mexican culture side of it versus, you know, on your mom's side of the family that was, I guess, for lack of a better term, just white, right? White uh-huh, American. Uh-huh. What did you notice the biggest differences, especially considering that you were more surrounded uh, culturally, you know, from, I guess, white America, right? Yeah, I think that, you know, they're different in the sense that they were both very family oriented, both sides of my family, and they were both, um, you know, my mom's mom was really close with my dad, so they were 
everyone like knew each other pretty well. Hmm. But I think of the Mexican side as more centered around food and hanging out and longer spans of time. And, you know, maybe on my mom's side was a little more formal and scheduled and mm. <laughs> <On> <laughs> restaurants <time>. on time. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're notorious for that, right? <laughs> I got the timeliness. Oh, did you? Uh-huh. You got the good quality, huh? Yeah. <laughs> so you're always are you the first one to show up then? Yes. <laughs> I intentionally try to be late now and and that gets me to be like on time. <laughs> uh, that's what you know, like I said, that's a good quality to have, so I, I can't knock it. But so tell me about how you ended up in Chicago then. So my husband worked at um, hospitals, okay, and he was transferred from a hospital in Wichita to Chicago. He went to Rush to work, and so we ended up here about six years ago. And it's just been home ever since. Yeah, we love it here. Now, what did you notice, I guess, was a fundamental difference? Like, was there any culture shock, um, being that, I guess, Wichita is a lot smaller than Chicago, right? But still... It's not a it's not a little city. It's not a little town, right? It's it's a city. Yeah, but there certainly are differences that stand out to us. There's more traffic here. Things generally cost more here, especially like cost of living. But I always say food, like from the grocery store and entertainment, are much less here because there's so much free entertainment, so much going on. And I think food in the grocery stores are cheaper. I don't know why. The competition, I've heard a lot in terms of Chicago, just a competitive market. And I figure it's a bigger hub. It's like a hub, yeah, more people for sure. Are com- more trucks are coming in and um, supplies. But culturally, I think Chicago is more laid back. Like um, As far as like having kids' parties seem to be more casual and laid back, where in Wichita things are a little more formal, I think. I don't know why. It's when you say formal. Um, I'm hearing stuffy. Is that is that am I am I off base? No. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. We're here. We always say like, oh, we met all of our friends at kids' parties. You know, gotcha. the parents are hanging out yeah, and yeah. relaxing. Where, as there, I feel like things are just more formal, and I I feel like there's a lot more. This is surprising, but I think there's a bigger variety of things to do within nature here, which you wouldn't. I think a lot of people wouldn't think that, but with the forest preserves and, you know, once you get kind of to the perimeter of the city, there's so much that you can do in nature here, whether it's kayaking or hiking or biking. There is a lot to do here, and I don't think people truly realize that, right? But I love the city for what it is. And so speak to me about the cultural side of things, because, you know, I know that it's it seems like to you, you know, you're, you're very confident in who you are as a person. And, and I think you're Susie first more than anything else. Right. But when you think about being Latina, what is the, the word, the term Latina mean to you? And how did you see that maybe evolve um, in terms of your understanding of it, given that you know, there are so many uh, Latinos, the larger population here in Chicago versus Wichita? I think that's an interesting question. I feel like when I was younger, I kind of struggled with which culture do I identify with more or in which situations. Whereas now I feel like that's probably something that all Latinos kind of struggle with being a Latino in an American culture and how do you find your identity and how do you create who you're going to be. Whereas I think now I do kind of just identify with myself and this is you know, who I am, Um, but I identify with the culture by really trying to experience the food and the music and activities and entertainment and expose my son to that too. So keeping the connection with the culture, but within a broader context of we're really so multicultural here. So whether it's 
my culture or somebody else's or one that's brand new to me, I'm interested in learning about it. Yeah, no, and, and, and that's the one thing I've come to understand, too, from someone that we actually had at, at our recent event that said that um, she'd never heard, she's from Mexico, born and raised, and came here uh, you know, as a teenager, but said she'd never heard the term Latina before arriving here uh, in the United States. It's just not a term that, I guess, in the Latin American country that they associate with, right? It's only here that we identify it. How did you see, I guess, others' perception of you in that regard when they come to find out you're Latina? Because you're fairly light-skinned, right? And that's the one thing that I think we share in common is that people look at us, they don't necessarily assume anything of us, right? They just, or maybe assume the most obvious thing, which is, hey, you're light-skinned, so therefore you're just white, right? How, do, how I guess, how has your perception uh, or, or people's perception of you changed, whether that be here uh, in Chicago versus Wichita? But talk to me a little about, you know, just what you get from people that sense because of that term. Yeah, I feel like um, people are interested in my background and my parents' background and kind of knowing how I got to where I am. But I feel like even in the like broader context of, um, you know, who my parents are and where they came from, like geographically, I'm I'm of a different culture because I'm from Kansas. Mm -hmm. And so I think here there's so much intertwinement of cultures and things where I don't know that I feel a perception from others about it too much, uh, but I also think it often depends on where you are. I feel like if I'm in a Mexican restaurant that someone would talk to me in Spanish or maybe think that I'm Mexican, but if I were somewhere, you know, like a German restaurant, they wouldn't. So, so much I think is um, within context or when I was a kid going to Mexico, I always felt like a Mexican, yeah. you know, so I think it just depends on where you're located and who you're around and um, how much you're communicating with others. How For much sure. do they know about you? So it sounds like you're a little bit of a chameleon in that regard, where depending on where you're at is how people see you, right? Yeah, probably. No, that's kind of a cool thing and um, <clears throat> something I can't relate to because even in those circles, people are like, no, you're white. <laughs> it's just it's just one of those things. But, um, you know, the other thing I wanted to ask about is just growing up, you know, did you have uh, certain influences in terms of the, the Latina side of it? Did you have people you looked up to, women, um, that just, you know, were, that you identified with as, as Latina that influenced you in a way where, you know, maybe professionally or even personally? Yeah, you know, not as much women, but men. I feel like I had big influences, especially my dad. He was such a hard worker and um, just seeing his work ethic and ethics in general, really. So I feel like he was my biggest influence. I don't know if I have a, a female that I think of. My dad's probably like... That's awesome, though. I mean, good, good for dad for having instilled those values. And, well, I'm sure some, some young Latina out there is going to be looking up to you, uh, hopefully after hearing this podcast, too, and, and you know, hearing your story. But why don't you tell us a little bit about the professional side of what you do and how you got uh, into your career? Sure. So professionally, I'm a speech-language pathologist, and in my private practice, I do communication coaching also. Okay. So I think most people think of speech-language pathologists as working with children or um, working with people who don't have clear speech, which mm. really isn't what I do. I've always been interested in the brain and adults, and so my specialty is really adults and their thinking and communication skills. Mm. So I work with adults who maybe have something new that's causing a, a problem with their communication or their thinking. So that could be a brain injury or stroke. 
I work with people who've always had trouble from autism or ADHD. And then I coach family members of people who have progressive conditions like dementia or Parkinson's. I coach them on how to best communicate with their loved one who's having a neurologic condition. Wow, that seems very rewarding, but also very challenging at the same time. It is, and it's super fascinating. I feel like I'm always learning about the brain and communication and how it all intertwines. Yeah, and speaking of that, you know, it sounds like you know, on one end, you you have all these specialties, and, and you're you're working with a specific group of individuals, right? You kind of laid that out, but do you find that kind of across the board, there's something that um, is is I guess just something that you that, that is underlying in all communication that something that we can all kind of uh, look at and improve on that you're that you're doing as part of everything and everyone you see right but is there something that's kind of applicable to everyone is that even a, a fair question to ask I guess I think it is I often think about like refining my messaging and you know how do I find this thread that goes through everything. And I think a lot of what I'm doing is just helping people be able to organize their thoughts and then express themselves clearly, whether that's to advance um, professionally or to connect with others socially or with their loved one who is having a communication trouble. I think everybody can improve their communication. So thinking about who we're speaking with, who our listeners are, where they're coming from, thinking about how we are organizing our own thoughts and not rambling. So we're giving the other person a chance to talk. And I think those things kind of help everybody, whether you have a disorder or not. For sure. No. And, you know, as I'm, I hear you say that, obviously, um, you know, we're all different in the way that we communicate. But I guess, do you find that you're you're addressing more of people's emotions in that regard? Because, you know, if we're coming from an emotional place, Organizing those thoughts can be really difficult um, in any capacity, right? Even if you're just really excited or you're upset, right? So how much of that is, I guess, emotion management or um, versus just the organization of thoughts, right? There's certainly a component. A lot of people who have communication difficulty, maybe it's not caused by the emotion, but it can be exacerbated. Mm. So helping them manage that and have techniques and skills to pull from to have good communication even when they're emotionally having some things that are affecting their communication and then also on the thinking side of things if we think about executive functioning skills like those higher level thinking skills that we need to do to reach our goals or to get things done emotional control and emotional inhibition is one of those skills so being able to not be impulsive or to let our emotions kind of calm down a little bit before we think something and then just act on it. So there is a role of that. There's part of it's outside of my scope of practice. And so for certain cases, I may refer to someone who has more specialty within emotions, but I do address it to an extent. It seems like you'd have to, right? Because yeah. Yeah, if you can't get past that emotional part, anything you teach is, is just going to be out the window at that point. So mm-hmm. I'm you know, just curious about that. But now um, tell me a little bit about how you started your own practice, because on one end, it seems like you're you know, more of a clinical approach to um, speech, I guess, right, from that end and what we're talking about and, and specifically the type of clients that you see or patients. Um, on the other end, you're coaching, right? And it's more, is it business communication that you're focused on? 
It's more like social communication or executive functioning skills is what I'm coaching on. And like who are your ideal clients for that um, practice? So if I'm thinking about younger middle-aged adults, I'm often getting people who are really highly educated, they're really smart, but they just don't feel like they can organize their thoughts and really express them in a way that other people are getting and they're not socially connecting with other people. And so they're realizing they're not advancing, whether it's it's within work or within social relationships, and then they'll reach out to me and I help kind of, I think of it partially as some of these skills just come really naturally to people mm-hmm. and other people not so naturally, especially with this year we've been so socially separated from people and with technology, our attention spans are being um, taxed really to like a huge degree. And so I think more people are struggling with these kinds of skills and, and that's who I'm working with for young and middle-aged adults. For the older end, I'm working with people who are struggling because someone has a disorder. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Now, wh- one of the things you, you mentioned was the, the advancing, right? They're not advancing, and so therefore they see a deficiency in that. Like, <clears throat> does it manifest in other ways other than just, you know, because if, if you're struggling in certain areas, I'm sure that there's probably things that would be remedied after seeing you, right? What are some of those things that you notice are, are problem areas for people beyond the advancing part that they want to fix, um, or at least fix through their communication skills? Like, what are the skills themselves that they want to improve? No, like, how does how do not having those skills manifest in a negative way in, in their life? Like, what are some of the symptoms beyond, like I said, just advancing? But are there negative consequences that, that people are trying to alleviate from when they see you? Yes. So a lot of times it's people who are struggling with time management. You know, that's... Um, a part of executive functioning thinking skills. So, you know, they're having trouble with maybe knowing what to initiate first. And then even if they know what to initiate, they might have trouble actually initiating something that they need to get done. And then once they're doing that task, maybe they're having a hard time sustaining their attention for it or remembering all the steps that they need to do for it. And a lot of it's just helping them come up with strategies that help them figure out how to plan and prioritize and organize so that they aren't so off on time management or then once they kind of have a handle of that then how do you verbally organize your thoughts so that somebody's even following what you're saying or a lot of the people I work with they say they feel like they ramble or they're really scattered in their thoughts so people aren't following them and not feeling like maybe they're following what the other person saying, but really they are. They're just <laughs> not able to verbalize it in a clear way. See, yeah, no, and all these things are just think about my own life, you know, that it's so important and you're right. It's it's that organization of your thoughts more than anything else and how they can transcend beyond just your thoughts into your everyday life that, you know, you're, you're really helping people kind of take charge of all of it, it seems like. Yeah, and knowing when they're done. You know, some people, they don't know when when am I done? When can I stop? And so helping with that too. That's amazing. And one of the things that you had mentioned before in our initial uh, conversation was that, you know, you want to help or give back uh, in that regard that you understand, you know, uh, your services don't necessarily come, uh, you know, cheap <laughs> uh, on any level, right? Like if you, if outside of just you and your profession, um, talk to me about some of those things that, that you want to do to give back to the underserved communities. So one thing I'd love to do is to offer a scholarship position where, 
you know, I know there are people who don't, wouldn't be able to afford my services. So being able to offer a position that is considered a scholarship, also helping people know, you know, there's resources within the community that would reimburse my services. So even helping make those connections and help people know where else they can look. Um, yeah, and in a broader sense, I just try to be active with volunteering and being in the community and meeting people. That's not as closely tied to my work and my profession, but I do quite a bit of volunteering. Yeah, tell me about that because it's like you're on the local library board, right? Yes. So I actually just finished my term and I did not um, do another term for the board position, but I love reading, I love libraries, and so I did a year on my library board. And I do, um, I've adopted part of the Cook County Forest Preserve. And I think this is my third year that I've adopted part of the Forest Preserve. And I just clean it up and uh, and, and out there in the woods. <laughs> That's so awesome. And I think it just fits your personality too, being out there in nature and giving back to, to what you love, right? Yeah. And my new thing that I'm, I'm getting initiated with, and part of the reason I let the board go, it's just, you know, time constraints. I can only volunteer so much, but I... Um, I'm getting involved in dementia-friendly communities. So certain villages and towns are becoming dementia-friendly, and there's a big move so that their their fire department and their police know about dementia, know what they can do to help somebody, and then just what can the community in itself do to help someone with dementia. That's so amazing and very needed. Yeah, whether it's from education or support and so that's something i'm getting more involved with that's awesome good for you what else is on the on the horizon for Susie uh professionally personally oh i don't know um oh personally my family we are hiking around chicago which i think super exciting there's um there's a group of people that have pieced together online different trails so you can literally walk around the entire city. So now you're talking about trails like like within the city or nature trails or both? They're nature trails. Um, part of it's the Lakeshore, the, what's that called? Just the Lakeshore Trail? Yeah, Lakeshore Trail, yeah, I think. So part of it's that, and then it goes out into the suburbs, the different um, forest preserves, and it's like 210 miles. Oh, wow. That's no joke. So we just do a few miles at a time. We're probably like 30 miles into it. But I feel like I've already seen so much of Chicago that I didn't even know existed. That's amazing. That's amazing. Um, well, anyone listening that, that you'd want to connect with, I guess another question, you know, personally or professionally, like whether that be in the Latina community or, you know, professionally in, in the, um, the licensed clinician world, I guess. Um, just how could they connect no, with me? Just who you'd want to connect with. Oh, who I'd want to connect with. I think anyone who, you know, anyone who just wants some advice on their thinking of communication skills. I love to answer anyone's questions or to educate um, anyone who feels like they would benefit from just picking my brain about business and um, professional and personal development. I would like to connect with. Well, I would definitely love to continue to connect with you. So, But if you're listening and, and you'd like to connect with Susie, I would highly encourage you to do so. There's a form below where you can contact her directly. But Susie, I'm very grateful for you coming in and sharing your story and being a part of the Face of Latina Professionals. Awesome. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you.